You're listening to a DM podcast. Let's go on yeah, a trip. Yeah, let's go on a trip. Yeah, baby. It's not too bad. What was the question again? <laughs> okay, let's go. I'm Angela Caterns. I'm Ian Rogerson. And welcome to Suddenly Senior. This is a podcast series for those of us who've reached a certain age in life. That's right. You can join if you're not our age, but it'll be a lot more fun if you are. <laughs> so strap yourselves in, check your blood pressure, light your spliff. Pour yourself a small bevy and let's go. (laughs) (laughs) One of the biggest worries many of us have as we age relates to brain function. Dementia and Alzheimer's are at the top of my list of concerns, but there also seems to be just a general decline in brain function. It takes a bit more time to kind of get our brains into gear sometimes. So what actually happens to the brain as we age? Can we improve brain function and is it different for men and women? Joining us on Suddenly Senior is Dr. Sarah Mackay. She's an author and neuroscientist and the creator of the Neuroscience Academy. Hello and welcome, Sarah. Oh, thank you for having me. Hi, Sarah. Hi. It is lovely to have you. So, I mean, is that just a given that as you get older, you're going to get something like dementia or Alzheimer's? No, it's not a given. I think within the neurosciences and the medical profession generally, we would consider Alzheimer's disease, which sits under that umbrella of dementia, as a disease of ageing. And disease isn't inevitable. There's a little bit of slowing down and a little bit of cognitive decline that we see normally as people age, but getting a disease is not inevitable. Right. I was just going to say, you know, there is that cognitive decline, which is I just can't remember what I used to remember Mm. 10 years ago. Mm. I used to have total access to all that information. Now I've got to think about it. Mm. Is that just a normal ageing thing? I think it's got a lot to do with smoking marijuana, just saying. Oh, well, certainly that has has helped me. (laughs) I I can't can't comment on that. I didn't come prepared to discuss that. (laughs) That's already – we've already covered that on another – episode with with Ian Hickey. No holes barred here, Sarah. Yeah, look, I think often what we think about when we think about cognitive decline or our memory is that speed of processing, like how quickly can we get hold of an idea? Mm. And we really do peak in that processing speed in our 20s. But And it does tend to slow down a little bit after that, but there are very many aspects of cognitive function that don't simply just involve remembering very, very quickly. And some of these don't necessarily decline with age, and some of them even improve. We get a broader vocab, for example, mm. as we get older because we're kind of gathering in more information. We're probably probably more widely read. So we, you know... We see an improvement in, in things in some people like vocab as they get older. Well, I've th- often thought that was part of the reason why I found it maybe hard to remember things right on the spot as I used to because I've mm. stored so much information up there. <laughs> That's what I think it's about. It's hard to file. Yeah, it's really just that processing <laughs> speed. Things do slow down, but there are other aspects. I mean, we you know we often talk about the growth of wisdom with age, and we have experience, so we might not be you know quick sharp on the ball but there's so many other aspects to how we function as humans Mm. that we tend to focus on that and not think about the other things that might improve or certainly not decline inevitably. Mm. Anecdotally though Sarah it seems to me that the older people get they either lose one thing or the other they either lose their kind of brain function but they're physically fine or they lose their you know physical capabilities 
um, but their brains are fine. Mm. And we do, I mean, I suppose we do tend to focus in on the exceptions that we know about rather than the kind of averages. And that's not inevitable that simply because someone physically declines, they're going to stay mentally sharp or vice versa. But sometimes we do, you know, we might we might be a bit biased towards those really interesting stories mm. about people that are like that. Yeah, well, there's a lot of those mm. stories out there. Mm. Uh, you know, it's funny because neuroscience itself is is really about nerves, isn't it? It's all about the connection. It's so many different levels on neuroscience. There's yeah. psychology, there's physicality. You could probably rattle off a million different things that it involves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I probably could. <laughs> yes, but and and putting that all together mm. into one understanding in a way, because you've, you've got to pull all those little bits and pieces of neuroscience together to come up with a theory, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. And neuroscience really is the study of the sort of the structure and the function of the nervous system. And that includes everything from you know, your genes, which determine how neurons perhaps wire up and form synapses in early development, all the way through to our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviours at different points in the lifespan, how our biology, how the outside and world influences and shapes our brain through the life. And then, of course, we've got various diseases of the brain that we're interested in as well. So... It's pretty broad mm. and deep, but that's what's good about it. Yeah. There's so always gonna... something in there that's interesting and new. <laughs> Can I ask you something, Sarah? Sorry, this is a bit like a consultation. It's your show. You can. <laughs> I want to know how, how is it that I can hardly remember anything. I know, I've seen nearly every movie that was ever made, and yet I can't, can't really remember the details, but I can remember the lyrics to almost every song I've ever heard. H- how does the brain differentiate between those two types of memories? Yeah, look, there's lots of different aspects to memory that involve a whole host of different things. So there's the what we choose to pay attention to initially when that information's first coming in, um, what we do with that memory in terms of how it's stored. And a big part of memory is how often we kind of bring that back up in our mind and kind of turn it around and look at it from different angles and then how we store it away again. So memory's not static. It doesn't just go in once and then get stored away somewhere. It really depends on what we're doing with those memories. And something like song lyrics in particular, you probably can't remember the lyrics of a song you've heard only just once. What you've probably done is sing them over and over and over and over Mm. again in your head. And really that's just that simple fact of repetition. So you're remembering them. There's typically context around them. Songs are usually very emotional and meaningful and you know that's why that's perhaps why you've repeated them. So that's why something like a song, and particularly the songs of our youth, yeah, um, are so yeah that they stick. We actually have what's what. This is one of my the, my favourite ideas about um, brain and memory. We have what's known as a reminiscence bump. So those kind of years, your late teens, your early twenties, mm. you know, when we all, I peaked when there, we were all know, happy, yeah, when, <laughs> you know, our halcyon days, the days of our youth, when you kind of gaining a real sense of self and you're going out and exploring the world and that's when you have the strongest memory of the song you know that's where your music is from whatever generation you're from for me it's you know the Britpop of the 90s because oh, right. <laughs> I'm Gen X <laughs> so it depends you know 
the, the songs and the movies and the memories and the parties and the people, they're very, very strong and powerful memories for most of us and that carries us through our lifespan. You're more likely to remember that because it was yeah. so meaningful to you and that's a big part of memory formation as well. And, and so now we're seniors, not you, but Ian and I and our listeners, um, now we're seniors. Is there anything we can do to improve our memories? You know, are there exercises you can do? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I always think there's no easy answer to, the, to, to, to improving memories. Are we talking about can you remember, you, are you wanting to remember the song lyrics from your youth or are you wanting to make sure that you remember all the lists and your grocery items? Well, why yeah, you walked the into the room with your, why you walked into that room? Yeah. Why was I in here? Exactly. And a lot of that, again, comes down to attention. So what are we deciding that we're paying attention to? How overwhelmed or overloaded are we? Can we outsource that to a, write it down, mm. put it on our phone, set a reminder? Those types of very pragmatic um, ways of helping your memory and we have a lot of tools out there now we Mm. shouldn't be ashamed of using them we have maps that help us get around the world now without needing to flick through a book Um, so we can outsource a lot of that but then of course there are the things that we can do to support our brain health to enable a healthy brain a healthy neuron healthy synapses and there are a lot of the things that people would be familiar with around having a good healthy diet and and hydration and exercise and good sleep and then the other things which improve cognitive health above and beyond that kind of biological health so there'd be things like having a good rich social network because thinking about what other people are thinking and feeling is one of the most cognitively demanding tasks our brain can do. So, so is that keep... emotional intelligence, would you say? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, an enormous part of our brain is de- is, is, is in humans is evolved with social cognition. So not mm. just empathy and mm. thinking about what other people are feeling, but being able to take a good guess at what they might do next, interacting no. with them, having conversations, that kind of to and fro that you have mm. with other people. Mm. All of that is reasonably cognitively demanding for our brain. So if you're kind of keeping all of those things ticking over, keeping yourself really engaged, social, socialising, you know, intellectually engaged, not just doing Sudoku day in, day out, but a wide range of different (laughs) tasks which are new and which are challenging and which are engaging. Like podcasting, for instance. Absolutely. This is so good for (laughs) us, Ange. Yeah. I often get people, students come to me and say, oh, what can I do to keep myself cognitively engaged. And I said, well, you're a student, you're doing a course. You know, yeah. you already are mm. right, doing, right. doing some of these things right. So. Yeah. Sarah, what role do hormones play in, uh, in brain function? And how does that, I love that, I love how does that change as we get yeah. older? Hey, you got a new book jam. coming out soon about baby mind, haven't baby, you? Yeah, yeah. I've, written a, well, I've written a couple of books now on women's brain health and hormones and all of the changes that happen. So I probably know a little bit more about female hormones and I know about male hormones. But and, and women, especially as we get older, women go through menopause at midlife and there's an enormously significant change there and what happens to our hormones and how they change whether or not women have chosen to go on menopause hormone therapy is, an, is another issue there. Men are a little bit different. They don't have this kind of reverse adolescence almost in a way where there's this enormous sudden change um, and, and their hormone status, it just kind of tends to dribble, dribble out a little bit. <laughs> doesn't say a lot about us, really, does it? <laughs> but women go through a much more significant change 
and the menopause with that cessation of the ovarian hormone production that we see at menopause. And that does have quite a significant effect on women's brains and the various risks that we see as a result of that. Men don't tend to have that big, big shift. No, we're very Mm. shallow. Yeah. But, But it does have an effect on us with women around us. Yeah, absolutely. So I think... I mean, I suppose the, the, the simplest way to talk about the role of female hormones in brain health is that oestrogen is a cognitive enhancer. It does a lot of good things for women's brains. The more you've had in your lifespan, whether that be through pregnancy, whether that be through even hormone therapy, even the oral contraceptive pill, breastfeeding, that does tend towards enhancing your brain health in later mm. life. Mm. How interesting. Can I raise a topic that I know you're very... Um passionate about and so am I and that's having a nap in the afternoon <laughs> I, I had a nap in the car just before I came oh, into did the you? studio oh, I did that. <laughs> yeah it was a it was a it was a very short nap it was only about 10 minutes but they say the shorter ones are the best ones. Yeah, so you, you, can, you just kind of have to nap. yield to your tiredness, don't you? You don't Absolutely. fight it. Absolutely mm. that's what I do I yield so I got I got here I had a little bit of time up my sleeve and I was feeling the the doze coming on, mm. and I thought, oh, I'll just put the seat back in the car. It was safe. It was okay. Yeah. I wasn't doing what I was driving, obviously. Mm. But a lot of people get that mid-afternoon slump. Yeah. And the key is if, you, if it's safe and you can, you know, yeah. you're not compromising your, your employment or anyone's health and safety, there's, there's no reason not to do that. The key really is when it comes to napping is to do it strategically and not to nap really for longer than 45 minutes. I wouldn't even really recommend people nap for longer than half an hour. And the reason Mm. for that is that you will fall into deep sleep. So you're familiar with these kinds of stages of sleep we go through, go through into really deep restorative sleep in the first Mm. part of the night's sleep or the first few hours of sleep, and then later on it's lighter. If you fall into deep sleep during the day, that's much more likely to disrupt your sleep at night. So you kind of... You know, and harder ab- to get out of too, yeah, and isn't ab- it? You're obliterating yeah. the positive effects of the nap, whereas you get the positive effects of the nap whereby you have dialed down that sleep drive, that urge to sleep um, within, you know, sort of that first 15 to 20 minutes. So I just set an alarm to wake myself up. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. and, what, and what's really interesting is there's plenty of work done looking at naps. We know that sleep consolidates memories. Sleep really is the price we pl- we pay for having brain plasticity. Because ah. as we learn through the day and things sort of shape and sculpt our synapses, when we sleep, those synapses almost get kind of laid down, the memories kind of get firmed they up get in a way. Or filed or yeah. fired, if you want to use clay yeah. as an analogy. Yeah. Um, and and we do get a similar or, or sort of a, a, a smaller effect of that when we nap during mm. the day. So if you've performed a task in the morning, you've learned something new, you have a nap, you'll have, you will have consolidated those memories more than if you didn't have the nap. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're not sort of carrying around uh, the baggage you've had all morning of whatever's going on. You've filed that while you've had mm. a little nap and then you're yeah. refreshed and ready to go. Yeah, yeah. And there is, I mean, there is a case also to be made for if you've had a, a, a terrible event or you want you don't necessarily want to remember what went on that mm-hmm. morning maybe skip the nap because it will consolidate and there <laughs> oh, is right. and there is evidence around that kind of um consolidation of memory being associated with sleep so if you've ha- had a visit to the dentist for instance don't have a nap well it depends how nice i've got a lovely dentist well, so do i was I having actually. a nice chat with her the other day well i get the dental <laughs> level gas whenever i go in there it's fabulous uh but neuroplasticity we just uh you know touched on that yeah why is that so important? Well, 
and Neuro- what is it? Well, I think yeah, it's probably best to talk about what it what it is before we talk about being being important. It, it essentially is how the brain changes in response to things that happen to us, whether that be reading a book, whether that be an enormous life experience like having a baby, say, whether that be just remembering the conversation you had with your dentist in the morning. In some way, all of these events have to change the brain for there to be some memory of that event mm. or for the brain to have retained, whether it be a conscious memory or some kind of you know, memory of that. And essentially, neuroplasticity just describes the multitude of ways in which the brain changes in response to those. Some of the changes are enormous and, enormous and significant if it is an enormously significant event that happens over a long time. Perhaps you might see a structural change take place in the brain. And what does that mean? So um, if we just go back to my favourite subject here of, of uh, motherhood, um, and because we were talking about women's hormones earlier, the, the most significant change that we see in the structure of women's brains through their lifespan is during their first pregnancy. And we see the parts of the brain involved with social cognition, which mm-hmm. we just spoke about, thinking about what other people are thinking and feeling. We actually see them change structurally during pregnancy. Oh, it's wow. quite a significant change. In fact, it's bigger than any other change you see. You, you're not going to see the same change in someone, even with, say, a serious psychiatric illness you would, might expect to see the brain change. So mm. it's quite a striking, significant structural change to the grey matter of women's brains, which streamlines and primes their brains to be able to interact socially and read their baby's cues. Wow. So that's quite, that's brain mm. plasticity. But brain plasticity also involves those synaptic changes that happen at the microscopic or molecular level, which help us store memories, which help us store the conversation you had with your dentist in the morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there are various changes in between. We might see changes in how networks within the brain communicate. So plasticity really just encompasses the sort of the biological means by which the brain changes. It's important, but it's not a magic pill where which now we know about plasticity, we can heal we can and, fix everything. We can heal yeah. and cure everything. Yeah, it's yeah. really just describing the biology underlying. So it's like the oil that makes an engine run. Yeah, I suppose that's. that's well, I'm trying to make it. Yeah, I know. Analogies of the brain are hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're really. The, the kind of current analogies we're at now are, are, are sort of, I suppose, based on sort of networks and network mm. flexibility and how networks communicate with each other and how your brain perhaps changes in flexibility as it ages versus this part of the brain does that and this part does the other thing. Right. What about, um, you know, the more you, the older you get, the more you find yourself going, I remember blah, 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 you know, you're kind of reminiscing, you know, you're indulging mm. in a bit of nostalgia. Is that good for the brain, do you think? Oh, absolutely. That's what we call autobiographical memory. And people who look at the brain, look at people who are aging, will look at it really any point in the lifespan. Just have to be looking at aging here. Um, Autobiographical memory is a really good way to understand how brains are functioning, whether they're functioning well or not. And autobiographical memory, particularly of your early years, and we talked about the reminiscence bump already. Um, does tend to sort of stick around, whereas the older we get, it's those newer memories perhaps that aren't in there and haven't been sort of embedded as well in place. But a large part of that is because we've kind of pulled those memories out so many times and turned them over and looked at them at every angle that, you know, we've kind of reinforced them in there. Mm. Wow. That's so many, there's so many different things I could have a go at that because purely because, you know, when you think about it, it's like being 
they say some old people get stuck in their ways. Mm. Is that because they've been looking at those memories and they're, they're a little bit self-involved as well too? Because mm. you could also change those memories too. Your idea of what they were could be totally different from what they were 10 years before. Absolutely, and the meaning we make of them. And, mm. I mean, you can look at children who have grown up in the same house who had the same parents and the same experiences, and they'll have quite different memories of their, their childhood and the meaning mm. that they make even of a, a single event. And that doesn't have to just be an autobiographical memory of your past. That can that can happen now because we've all got a different perspective of that. Um, so I suppose, you know, we do, as we get older, hold on more to those memories of our past and, and look at them and reminisce about, you know, when you were back at your peak. <laughs> Whether or not that means... What do you mean, means, when? I think, I think we do know that it is, I mean... The, the the capacity for the brain to pl- to be plastic does sort of dial down um, as we get older. Um, it doesn't disappear forever. We've we've got data from there's, there's supposedly the world's oldest li- living ever human, this um, French lady Jean Calmon. Some studies were done on her when she was 118. Wow. Various tests of maths and verbal memory and autobiographical memory actually, and she improved in her test scores. Her ability to be able to remember a list of words or do mental maths wow. over the te- you know over the sort of the few months that she was engaged with these researchers who were coming in and testing with her, wow. so her capacity to learn her p- capacity for plasticity didn't disappear once she hit a hundred or even one hundred and ten. It was still there. I mean, it certainly she wasn't as good at it as, as you would be if you're a sixteen mm. year old, um, but you know that that there is there are vestiges of that that plasticity in there. Mm. Can we go back to you being dismissive of people who do Sudoku? So, <laughs> and crosswords. I'm not dismissive of people who do Sudoku or crosswords. I just think that that's kind of the default. We think, oh, well, if I do Sudoku, I won't get Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, yeah that's right. And a right. few years ago, you know, a decade ago, it was, oh, well, I'll go and do all these online brain training games and um, I, won't, I won't get Alzheimer's disease. And there's a whole lot more that we need to be doing above and beyond simply those games. There's lots and lots of things that we can do to build our so-called cognitive reserve and brain reserve, kind of build build that resilience to ageing up. And How? that's one great way. What are, uh, tell us some more. Well, they're <laughs> all of the things that we've already been talking about. So social connection is really important, I think, and really undervalued, not only for being quite cognitively engaging, but also for lowering stress levels. Mm. So, you know, and it gives you a purpose. It gives you a sense of being something that's bigger than yourself, that kind of collective effervescence. Yeah, Yeah, you're Mm -hmm. part of something Mm -hmm. bigger than you. Um, And all of those kinds of factors in there are are, are boosting cognitive resilience. And they're also boosting your mental health resilience as well. Mm. If you're part of something more than you, you have a real sense of purpose. So we know all of those kinds of activities that we engage in are, are kind of above and beyond going to do what the Sudoku would do. The Sudoku is going to be great, but I wouldn't rely on that as your sole source of intellectual stimulation. Good point. I, I'm just thinking, you know, getting involved with uh, people and being social and everything like that, you are constantly sharpening yourself purely because they'll throw concepts that you mm. aren't thinking of. Uh, you know, if you spend a lot of time only on your own, you're pretty boring. Yeah. But if you get to amongst people, it's like that you were saying about the world's oldest lady. She her memory improved as she was talking with a bunch of young people. Exactly, and it was the people really who came and engaged with her. That kind of spark. She wouldn't have been sitting doing the, the little maths tests all by herself just to entertain herself. And I think that that you know you can take the next step further there. That the more diversity of people that you talk to the more different ages and you know backgrounds and you know the more ways you're going to be challenged 
as well. So good to meet you, Sarah. Thank you so much for um, joining us on our little podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me along. It's been enlightening, as a matter of fact. It certainly has. Uh, And you're always welcome to come back if you have some more ideas or some help you can give us. (laughs) I think if you're podcasting, you're well ahead of the game. Oh, excellent. Well, listen, Sarah Mackay, a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Please like and also subscribe. Thank you for listening. I'm Angela Caterns. I'm Ian Rogerson. Leave a comment, as long as it's nice. <laughs> if it's not, that's right. Fuck off. Yes. See you next time, Ange. Bye. And I want wine with my meds. <laughs> <That's right. laughs>